Hey everybody and welcome to the very first episode of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up with me Jeremy Taché here in the year 2023. Super excited about this week's episode to kick off the new year with Amin El Hassan. Amin is a former NBA front office executive. He also worked for ESPN, now works for Meadowlark Media in a whole bunch of different capacities with a bunch of really great podcasts including Cinephobe where his co-host Zach Harper was one of our guests last year here on Miami Miked Up. But nonetheless, Amin is here to break down everything going on from his perspective with the Miami Heat, their ups and downs headed into tonight's game against the Phoenix Suns. And speaking of the Suns, Amin also shares some really cool stories from his years in NBA front offices with the New York Knicks and those Phoenix Suns. So this is a really great episode. I'm excited for all of you to hear it. I am also here to say I am sorry because there is a bit of a buzzing with my microphone, at least from my perspective in this edit. And so uh, I believe this is karma for right before the episode bragging to Amin about how my microphone quality would be better than his microphone quality. And yet here we are. Nonetheless, great episode ahead of you. Enjoy a long first episode of the year of Bally Sports Miami Miked Up. You know, I've realized I, I don't even know whether to say Happy New Year to anybody on this because now this is the first pod and it's now I feel like this is where I just have to start. So I'll probably just start from here. Yeah, uh, I guess not Happy New Year. I don't know. On this episode of Miami Miked Up, um, we have a very special guest excited to ring in the new year with Meadowlark Media's own Amin El Hassan. Amin, thanks for uh, taking the time to to join me today. Yeah, I'm coming to you from the belly of the beast, <laughs> Metal Arcs Levitard Show HQ on South Beach. I don't know if you can hear the pulsating sounds of the Clevelander bar beneath me. I know I can, though. And that's all <laughs> that matters, because if, there's nothing better than doing a podcast with uh, Ed Sheeran's shape of you in the background. <laughs> Well, and like a du weird dubstep DJ yeah. remix of it. It's not even the, the normal uh, rough yeah. version of that playing in the background. Well, and it's funny because I, I know that uh, Zoom is doing a little bit of suppressing of that so the folks can't hear it. But just know it is literally pounding the floor that Amin is, is sitting on right now. Um, Amin, before we get into anything with the Miami Heat here and some NBA topics, I want to ask you. Uh, outside of work, outside of basketball, what is something mm. recently that has brought you joy? It brought me joy. Well, it was the World Cup up until <laughs> until Brazil lost and then right. Argentina won. So oh, that it became man, incredibly painful for you. Yeah, just the, wor the worst possible version. I mean, I, like, I think I could have survived Argentina winning if Messi had just choked <laughs> tremendously. And right. he, and he kind of right. did. They kind of did by letting France get back in the game, but I just needed that one extra step of just end them, just end them. To know just how much of this hurt you is that I asked you a question about what's brought you joy and you instantly yeah. went to the thing that made you the most upset because it clearly was sitting with you still weeks later. So let's talk basketball then. Let's let's move on from the World Cup. Let's talk <laughs> basketball um, on what should be a generally brighter note, although the Heat are coming off uh, a sort of confusing loss, one of the, the more confusing losses of the season to a LeBron-less, Anthony Davis-less Los Angeles Lakers. Hapless. Uh, a hapless <laughs> Los Angeles Lakers. A lowly Hap Lakers. Hap didn't play either. Um, yeah, right, hapless. Um, the Heat are now 8-4 and four over their last 12. 9-3, um, mm -hmm. and three again, would have, would have felt a lot better as we have this conversation. Um, but this team has been incredibly inconsistent this year. Up and down, had these moments where you believe they turn the corner, have these moments where, like, you know, on Wednesday night, feel like setbacks. So, I mean, what do you believe is the biggest culprit here in causing this inconsistency or even struggles for the Miami Heat? Well, I think it's, it's really easy uh, and really straightforward. This team offensively isn't where it was a year ago and specifically if you're wondering what's happening specifically the three-point shooting isn't where it was a year ago and that's the biggest thing this was uh correct me if i'm wrong jeremy uh mm -hmm. last year this was the best three-point shooting team in the correct. nba correct and this year they're 24th uh they they are 24th in accuracy they get them up the attempts are great but it's just they're not making them 
at quite the clip they were a year ago. And that's the biggest difference between an elite offense last year right. and one of the worst offenses this year. In a weird way, it is a bigger picture version of the microcosm that has been the Celtics season recently. Right. Because the Celtics started this year the best offense ever, literally, in the history <laughs> right. of the NBA. And since mid-December, they've been bottom five. And so people ask, well, how is that possible? I said, well, it's real easy. When you start your season with people who aren't good three-point shooters being elite three-point shooters, you're going to have – it just makes the game so much different for everybody else. Right. But the problem for the Heat is it's not – you're, you know, Derek Whites or whatever, who guys are shooting way over their head. Problem for the Heat is their main three-point shooters are not doing what they're supposed to do. Tyler Hero is pretty good. Caleb Martin's good. And then everybody else is struggling. Max Struess is struggling. Duncan Robinson, who's going to go undergo surgery, is struggling. Uh, Gabe Vincent, struggling. Uh, Kyle Lowry, struggling by his standards. So when the people that you're counting on the whole basis of the offense is we're going to move the ball and then he's going to be open for three and he's going to make enough of them that the defense now has to stay home with him, thus making life easier for Jimmy Butler, for Bam Adebayo, for Tyler Hero, et cetera, et cetera. When that guy doesn't make threes and everyone learns that, oh, we can just sag, it completely, this whole house of cards falls apart. And that's what's happened to the Miami Heat this season. And that's what's, what's made this season, I believe, so confusing for people to analyze for the Heat because it's not a matter of they're necessarily overmatched. They're just not hitting shots. Right. And so that's why it makes it this sort of confusing thing because it's like, all right, well, what move could you make? What could you do that's different? And yet all it is is these players who we know to be a certain level of shooter just Mm -hmm. need to shoot at the very least, they're averages. They don't even need to be above average. They just need right. to be the players that we know them to be. And so do you think that, you know, injuries and guys being in and out of the lineup and not having any chemistry can fix that? Or is this just sort of a you got to hope and pray that these guys start to come back up to earth? Yeah, I've heard people talk about injuries, but the reality is a year ago, this team went through the same thing with injuries, with COVID protocol issues. Uh, that's how, by the way, that's how Gabe Vincent is here. Gabe <laughs> right, Vincent is right. here as a direct result of what happened last year. Caleb yeah. Martin is a starter Same as reasons. a direct result of what happened last year. Mm-hmm. So it's not because, oh my God, these guys haven't played together enough. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure it does, doesn't help things Sure, when when you don't have a consistency in the, in the roster or in the, in the people on the floor available. But the reality is, no, it's, if Duncan Robinson and Max Schroes made their threes, like you said, at their average. Right. This would be different. If Gabe Vincent shot as well as he did last year, this would be different. If Hell, if Dwayne Dedman shot the ball as well yeah. as he did last year, he's shooting 31% right now. So it's it's a real simple thing. The NBA is a game of homework. Everyone scouts everybody. And they know. They know when you're not making them. But more importantly, they know when you know you're not making them. That's the bigger part, right? That's the bigger part. Is it, is it does seem with 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 so many of these guys with the Heat in particular. And I wonder if that is a product of so many of these guys being overachievers, but Mm. it's mostly mental, right? It's you've hit that wall of, hey, this constant ascension to I'm already, you know, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, they're already achieving beyond what they ever could have possibly imagined. Duncan's talked openly about how difficult that can be when you get to this point and now there's the expectation and then you hit the wall as a player where you need to make that next adjustment and to have so many of those types of players on this roster at the same time does make it really interesting and in that, you know, the mental side can, can, and then sort of rub off on each other. So as things start to get better and better, hopefully that will tick the right direction, you know, for all of these shooters at the same time, moving to, to a couple of individual players on this team who have both really had an ascension this year. And both are guys that Miami's paid recently. You have Tyler hero, mm. Um, who has been huge for the Miami Heat, not just as, you know, one of their best scorers in general, but, mm. you know, late in games and clutch moments, he's hit game winners for the Heat. Um, you know, and his averages of 21-6, 4.5, and shooting nearly 40% from three, having a great year. And then Bam Adebayo has been unbelievable over the last he's few Bam. weeks. He's, he's, he's Bam, Bam again. Right? He's, he's Bam Adebayo. Um, do either of these guys 
Well, I guess what stands out to you about each of their performances this season in terms of their their steps forward, but really, do either of these guys stand out to you in a way that changes your view into what their potential as franchise cornerstones now for the Heat looks like? Yeah, I, I think, well, first of all, for Tyler, I think the big thing was he obviously had that incredible end to his rookie year in the bubble. And there was an expectation that went with him that I thought was not commensurate with where his curve was. I, I remember my buddy Kendrick Perkins saying, he's going to be an all-star that very following season. I said, all-star? He's, I, I just I, I didn't see it for him. And I felt Tyler was playing to that, playing to yeah. that expectation. He gets his name mentioned in a song by Jack Harlow. And it just felt incongruent with where he was as a player and it showed in his play as he's trying to do things and take over games and forcing the action and I thought this season he's done a much better job of playing within himself but since he's a better player playing within himself has grown from where it was a year ago or two years ago so I really have enjoyed his maturation in terms of decision making not just in terms of whether or not to shoot, but what kind of shots I'm going to be taking here. He's been tremendous, tremendous finishing. I think he's shooting something like 70, 70% at the rim this year. Yeah, he's uh, been sensational, sensational finishing and and through contact. Like that's the part yep, that's been contact. really interesting. And the floaters that not quite get to the rim, but in the paint floaters and runners, he's mm-hmm. excellent at that. Those are all improvements that, for a guy of his build and his athleticism, he needed to do those things. He needed to be more skill-based to kind of take a page out of someone like Kyrie Irving who isn't abnormally tall, isn't abnormally explosive, isn't abnormally strong, but just so detail-oriented in terms of the skill, particularly around the basket, that he overcomes that stuff. Steph Curry is another one that comes to mind. Tyler Hero is learning those things, and that's that's – encouraging right and yeah, for sure 39 percent shooting three from three is good is good for him ideally if he's as elite a shooter as we think he can be you want to go higher but I, i'm also look 39 percent is really good right, I, I don't right, be like, man right. man you ain't you're, you're letting us down like he's right. he's holding his own yeah and, and it was up over 40 just a couple of games ago a couple bad games yep. in a row here from three and, and it's it's dipped underneath but he was there was a stretch there where i was doing that thing of throwing basketball reference stats together and being like all right it's just tyler and steph shooting right. this level from three with this many points per game we were all you know workshopping there but but to your point 39 percent is still really solid even if that's yeah. you know a little bit of a dip here and you know you could get into the weeds of catch and shoot versus off the dribble and mm-hmm. contested versus uncontested but but overall i think offensively you have to be pleased with what tyler's put together for for bam you know a lot of my issues with him last season particularly down the stretch of the playoffs was his reticence his lack of playing with enough aggression to demonstrate I'm a superstar being paid to be a superstar. I'm not just paid like a superstar. I'm not talking about the, what, how much his number is. I'm talking about what it represents. It represents, we expect you to be the best player on this team, which is something that Jimmy talked about. Was it three years ago going to the all-star weekend? It's like, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And we didn't see that after I thought he, he was that in uh, the bubble and that, that whole year really, cause he was an all-star. Mm-hmm. in Chicago that year. We didn't see it in 2021. And 21-22, we saw it kind of ebb and flow, and then definitely towards the end, didn't see it. So he's come out this year a lot more aggressive, consistently. He started the season kind of doing the same stuff, but over the last month and some change, that's changed. And, you know, hence why I call him Bam again and not Idris. <laughs> Said I'll never call him out of his name, but I won't. Ain't gonna give him no nicknames, no cool nicknames if you're gonna be playing like that. And and he's he's been tremendous. Again, he's finishing around the rim. He's got uh, the kind of makings of a little in between game that right. he does. And 
I think most importantly during this last stretch, these last 12 games or so, they've done a better job of giving him the ball and allowing him to be a creator, which yep. was something early on and last season they went away from. With the addition of Kyle Lowry, it became, well, we have a point guard, so bam, even though you were doing six assists a game a couple of years ago, yep. now nah, just kind of, you know, catch and finish. There's two th- things. One, it, it that's not his strength. I don't think he's a 30-point-a-game scorer. He just happens to be able to score 30 points a game if, yep. if the opportunity is right. In the flow. He's right. more of a flow guy. I give him the ball, and he does dribble handoffs, and he makes guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero better. Oh, yeah. And then within the flow that he then can score, like you said, 25 points here and there. But he's not he's not Anthony Davis. He's not, to go back a little bit, Amari Stoudemire. He's not one of these guys who are like a voracious offensive terminator. Just keep giving me the ball and I'll, around the rim, and I'll dunk, and I'll finish it. He's not that. He's a guy that's a more well-rounded guy. Which, in that form, when he's doing it the way he's supposed to be doing, is exactly what the Heat need. Yep. Well, and what what's been um, impressive and and exciting about really both of them, but I'll stick with Bam for a second, is you know he's not that guy naturally, right? He wants to be almost. It's not at all the same thing because I will not compare them as scorers nor as players but where LeBron James was a like at the beginning of being here a pass first mm-hmm. I want to set everybody else up I'm not the scorer hashtag I'm not even a scorer right, right? I'm he not a scorer right he's yeah he still does that all the time where the reality is is when you need him to be the best scorer on the planet Earth, he's capable mm-hmm. of it. With Bam, individually, in some moments, particularly like you mentioned over the last six weeks or so, the Heat have been able to say, hey, look, man, we need you to go get some buckets. Right. And he's been able to do it. And I think that's the thing that stands out to me most about his game, which is not only being able to do it through a number of new things he's added in his repertoire, similarly to what you talked about with Tyler, adding different skill parts to his ability to score but that aggressiveness that Tyler Hero mentality of like oh I'm I'm yep. the best scorer out here I'm just going to go get buckets you love to see Bam having a similar thing there you know when he's out there to be the guy in a weird way like the entire heat or mu- not the entire but much <laughs> of the heat roster needs like an infusion of whatever Tyler right, of the, of the, Hero <laughs> and Jimmy Butler run off of right and even Kyle Lowry to some extent is like there's a level of just like to hell with you. I'm I right. know what I'm I'm the guy. I know I'm, I'm capable. Here. Some of these other guys need some some more of that just to to be consistent with it because man, like I you know, I talk to so many former players that have played for teams that I work for, and whenever I ask them, you know, sounds any context, like how like as Eddie House, like what do you do when you miss nine three pointers? In a row, and he says, "Take the tenth because that means that one's going right, in." Right, right. Like that's he really believes that, right? He mm-hmm. really. We had when when Eddie left us, and he was playing. I believe he played for the Nets. Our scouting report said, "Only shoots it when he touches it." <laughs> like that's his that's his mentality. It's right. like, oh, I got the ball. That must mean I should shoot right now. Well, ironically, that was Eddie House. It's taken literally Duncan Robinson becoming the all time leading three-point shooter in Heat franchise history to finally be in the space where Spolstra says, yeah, he he knows his role now is to basically right. shoot it every time he touches it. It took him literally breaking the franchise yeah. record to get to that space in terms of a mentality. So you're right, and you almost wonder if that's why this group, and obviously bits and pieces of this group have changed, but why a group like this thrived so much in the bubble because you had that entire time an unrelenting Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and Udonis Haslam level of confidence being instilled into all of those role players who were able to say like, all right, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I can play at this level consistently, you know, because we're around each other so much and that's there. And, and you know, this team is so built off of its chemistry in terms of timing within the offense, but also just clearly mm-hmm. mentally that. You know, that's so much of what goes on here. And and it really makes the rest of the season sort of interesting. So when you do look at the rest of the season and you look at the way that the East is shaping out, first of all, you know, as Boston's come back down to earth and the Nets have just played out of their minds, I'd love to know what your view is just of the East in general and who the favorite should be. But also, 
you know, what's the ceiling for Miami as as sort of the mayor of Heat Island? Is there any sort of, you know, propaganda that you can spew here that that gives people a reason to believe? Well, a propaganda. Well, yes, the, this is the propaganda I can spew, yeah. which is ties into who's going to win. Sure. Nobody knows. Right. Right. The Celtics had the best offense in the history of the NBA to start the season. And everyone thought, oh, my God, it's off to the races with Boston. And barely three weeks later, from that moment, they have a half game lead on the Nets, who three weeks ago, we were like, oh, my God, right, they fired. And uh, they, like they were just a, a team in absolute turmoil. Right. The Heat, who went through what I called Hell Week, mm-hmm. right? You lose to the Pistons at home. You lose to the Grizzlies with nobody on there. You lose to the, the Spurs at home. Right? I think if you add up the Spurs. Week. It was a crazy week. Yeah, if you add up the Spurs and the uh and the uh uh the Pistons wins, they still wouldn't be a 500 team compared to just one of those teams losses, right? Oh god. Detroit has 10 wins, San Antonio has 12 wins. Add them up, that's 22 wins. San Antonio has 25 losses. Detroit has 30 losses. So even oh, if, I, if I that's how bad those teams are and right. you let them shellack you at home, right? Yeah. Since then as we said, would have been nice to say nine out of twelve, but it's, you know, eight out of twelve, mm-hmm. which has pulled this team from outside looking in of the play-in picture to one game behind Indiana for the for a top six. And you know, I know what you're thinking. Well, I mean, that's nothing right home about. Okay, you're what's that? Four games behind Cleveland for for home court advantage in the playoffs. Right. It's. A lot of season left, and what we've learned is that no one, no one really has any real separation. Every time someone makes a move, they ended up, they faltered. Milwaukee made a move, then they faltered, right? Mm. Boston made their move early, then they faltered. The Nets faltered, now they're making their move. Although they lost last night to right. another team that didn't play any hap. The hapless yeah. Chicago Bulls, right? Go. Bringing it back so, together. Cleveland struggled to beat the Bulls. It took a, a, a historic effort by uh, Donovan Mitchell. So I don't know anyone who can sit here today, early January, say, oh, yeah, Nets are going to the final. I, right. I don't know you can say that. I don't know if you can say that because all of these teams are going back and forth trying to figure out you know, where they stand, where their place is. In terms of the, and by the way, the same same is going on in the Western Conference, right? I mean, the, these teams are all really kind of knotted close together, and it is nuts to say, like, if the Heat just go on another run similar to what they just did, right? Just go four or five games above five hundred in the next, you know, ten to twelve games, and all of a sudden, you're right, you're just a couple games out of you know home court advantage potentially in that that type of situation going into the All Star break, let alone post All Star break and the type of run you make there. But I do want to transition. Um, to your career here. And I'm just always intrigued by anyone who makes the decision to try to get into the front office in sports because it is such a, as difficult as the sports media path can be to sort of break your way in, breaking your way into a front office is seems like a nearly impossible task. So I wanted to ask just what what inspired you um, to get into basketball? Was it just your passion for the game? Did you have a love of business going in? You know, where does it all begin for you? So for me, passion for the game existed. Obviously, I played with my friends mm-hmm. in high school and and loved the game and watched every game and read the newspaper and read the recaps of all the other games everywhere else. And, you know, as the advent of the Internet and, you know, not reporting on the Internet, but like the very earliest versions of using the Internet for sports information was newspapers posting their articles online sure Sure. so i went from someone who was like consuming stuff about the knicks all the time because i grew up in new york to oh i can go on this website and i can read what the contra costa times is saying about the warriors i can read what the boston globe is talking about the celtics i can read the chicago tribune talking about the bulls and so i'm reading local coverage to all of these teams and learning like what's happening and you know, why is this guy injured or whatever? And then I believe the 1998 lockout was the moment where 
when basketball came back, there were so many more rules. Yeah. Who can be traded for how much and how much you could pay this guy. And, and that hadn't existed anywhere in sports before that. Sure. So I made it a point. Like, I'm going to learn all these rules. I want to know why you can't trade that guy over there or why uh, they need to throw in some more money here or why they can't just pay them off or all those things. I wanted those answers. And so I got into that. I was going to school to be an engineer at the time. I This was literally just because I wanted to be a, a smarter fan, not mm. with any thought of a career. Because in my mind, if you wanted to work in a basketball front office, you had to either be a former player, right, or your dad owned the team, <laughs> or your dad was a GM, or your dad was a coach, or your uncle was a coach, or your uncle's a part owner. It was something like that. It wasn't. Sure. Not, it was not a. Forget about. It's hard to get into. It's not for people like you and me. Sure. I, sure. I believe I didn't know anyone. Right. I knew. I, I like all I knew was. Uh, Nick's GM Ernie Grunfeld. Well, Ernie Grunfeld played in the league, right? Right. Nick's, da, 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 you know, so and so, blah blah blah. Like, oh yeah, because his dad was so and so, right? Like, and, and what ends up happening is my roommate in college, a guy named Ken Cummings. Ken wakes me up on uh, like a Saturday morning, like at six a.m., and tells me the Hawks are having a job fair, and we should go down there. Get out of here. And, yeah, and I was like, get the hell out of my room. It's 6 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> right, right, right. Friday was Friday, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm not, get, get out of here. And so he's like, come on, let's do it. I'm like, they're not going to hire us. He's like, we don't know that. I said, they're going to be, I said, there's going to be like a million people down there. He said, well, they might be, we might be, they got to hire somebody. It might be us. And I just wow. kept saying no. And And I remember he said, who knows, we might get to go to some games for free. And I remember that moment sitting there, I had the blanket over my head and 99% of me wanted to tell him just to get the hell out of my room one more time. And the other 1% said, free games could be cool. Yeah, right. (laughs) Because I I never got to go to games as a kid. It was, you know, the Knicks were always sold out. I went to like maybe two or three games in my life. They were all in New Jersey to watch the Nets because that's how you got to affordable seats and available seats, right? So I said, okay. Got up, I brushed my teeth, went down there. Maybe like 500 people showed up. They hired six. They We were two of the six. Wow. And it was wow. like as entry level as entry level gets. We were the field marketing team, which was basically a glorified street team. We went to malls. We yeah. set up these little carnival type exhibits. Hey, compare your hand to uh, Mookie Blaylock's hand. Hey, your shoe size to Dikembe Mutombo's shoe size, stuff like that. Make two out of three baskets and get tickets to the game. <laughs> right, things right. like that. Every once in a while, they'd hit us with like, hey, here's some free tickets to the game. But more importantly, I got to meet people who were full-time employees. Mm. They were working. I mean, they were, they were overseeing us. So it's not like these. this is the GM or anything. But I'm asking them, hey, what you, what, you know, what'd you do in college? It's like, oh, sports management. I'm like, that's a, a degree you can do? Like, yeah. And you just got this job? Yeah, I applied and I got the, and yeah. it, it opened my eyes. There are normal people doing this Right. Shit. And so at the end of that year, we got promoted to the in-arena marketing stuff, which is people who do the timeouts and quick change and, like, you know. Yeah, of course. The guy that the Simon says. all the, like, Right, right. We, we manage those things, picking contestants out of the crowd and all that stuff. But this isn't amazing. I mean, this is crazy to think that this is where you started and where this you is ended my start, up. Yeah. This is amazing. And so – then at this point now I'm in the arena on game days. So I'm getting there early because we got to set up, but like I'm meeting people. So I tell people all the time, the first real NBA person that I knew that I had a relationship with was Rick Mahorn. Cause Rick Mahorn was an assistant coach on the Hawks. And I was walking in, I was walking, I was carrying boxes of like giveaways or whatever. And Rick Mahorn was walking in, he just parked, he walked in and he slapped the shit out of the boxes things <laughs> everywhere and just kept walking and he was laughing as he walked away. And no like, way. What an yeah. And, but then like, I realized, oh, he's messing with me because like, right. he likes me. like uh, so, you know, I, I got to know Rick Mahorn and I got to know oh, cool. a, a bunch of other people. And through that, I was like, okay, this is what I wanted. I don't want to just, like at first I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe I could work in the marketing department. And then I was like, no, 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 no. I, I want to work. In this, and at this, at this time, this is again right after that lockout. So I'm thinking to myself, well, how many people are out here 
studying the, the mechanisms of the, right. the, the the league now. That's amazing. So I'm like, this is where I can provide value because I can't provide any basketball value. I didn't play. I don't have any credentials. <sighs> I can't be like, oh, I know these plays or whatever. But I knew I knew something that not everybody knew. One, because it's so technical. And two, because it was so new. Like, imagine introducing a whole book of information at the same time for everybody. So everybody's learning this for the first time. So it leveled the playing field for me to a point where I'm like, okay, I think this is my end. I decided I need to transfer. I wanted to get into a sports business program, but I wanted to go in a good one. And Arizona State at the time had the number one sports business program in the country, but it was a graduate program. Right. So I was like, all right, well, then I'll go transfer. I'll finish my undergrad at ASU. And then that'll help me get into the grad program. And that'll help me. And while I was at ASU, my last year, my senior year, I had like one class or two classes to graduate. This is at the beginning of my fall semester. I need two classes between now and, and you know March, May of twenty twenty, uh, May of whatever year that yeah, was twenty twenty. Yeah, <laughs> everything yeah, else has happened in the last few years. Yeah, and uh, I got a job with the Knicks in basketball ops, an internship in basketball ops, and so I went there and I'm like, this is the dream come true. I'm mm. coming home and all that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna fix the Knicks. I'm armed with all this information. I know what's going on. Like I I I was so sure that like ah oh, all it needs is a little I mean and my gumption alone <laughs> can turn this thing around right right and when I got there I began to realize very quickly oh wow now I know why my favorite team isn't good and it's because wow. of all of this organizational largesse and 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 uh, inefficiency. And that's like finding corruption. out Santa isn't real. That's like that not, moment of just like, oh, my God, I'm here. And now I'm seeing, you know, how the sausage is made. And, and it, or is it not like that? It's not even like finding out Santa isn't real. It's like thinking, wow, Santa didn't get me these toys because he's so overworked and tired. And then say, I'm going to go to the North Pole and find out how to help Santa to help all these other kids. So that never happens again. And when you get there, you find out that Santa isn't tired and overworked. He's just a lazy alcoholic, <laughs> right? Just a lazy drunk who treats everybody like, oh, you're like, God. oh that's why it is the way that's, it is. Wow. Wow. And, and but that's so, got to be a tough realization in in the first quote unquote job that you have here, right? Because you were yeah. working as an intern before, so this is the first moment where you're but there this, as a professional, and you're you're this now is me in, in, in New York in the machine in the yeah. like in in basketball ops on a day to day, right? And so at first I was like, and part of this inefficiency and corruption and agendas and all that stuff is also there is no structure for mm. someone like me to be developed or taught or whatever. So my first few months, I'm not ashamed to admit, like I basically sat around on basketball reference all day, just looking up stuff. Right. Because all I had to do was like, hey, can you FedEx these pay stubs out to the scouts? Hey, can you pick up this thing from this department and bring it? There was, there was nothing. And uh, the guy who hired me worked for the VP of basketball ops, who was the, the very first capologist in the NBA. This is the guy who the first time the term capologist was ever used was for this gentleman, Frank Murphy. And Frank was this old dude. He 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 was a relic of the Riley era. Okay. And to hear him tell it, a lot of the reasons why the collective bargaining agreement was written the way it was, was because of the work he did finding loopholes around the cap. Things like... uh Charles Oakley has a balloon payment, which basically says, hey, we only had $2 million of cap space. We signed Charles Oakley for $2 million this year, $2 million next year. Year three, his salary is $18 million. Got it. And Got then it. it drops back down to $2 million because that's a big uh, free agency year and we want to have the cap space. Because mm. back in the day, you could you structure could just do that. however you wanted. Oh, my gosh. And so the right. league said, no more of that. Now now it's 5% raises, 7%. Like that That came out of that. Right. Out of wow. balloon payments and people structuring stuff like that. Right. So I, I'm learning from this. Well, this is the guy I'm working for. <laughs> sure, sure. But he's a notorious jerk. Mm. So I said to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break him. 
Oh, Every wow. day I see him. I oh, say good no. morning, Mr. Murphy. He wouldn't even like he wouldn't even miss a beat. Just keep walking, keep staring, whatever. Okay. Every day, every day. I'm like, and people, are like, oh man, he's that. I don't worry about. I don't know why you messing with him. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just doing this thing, right? And the night of the trade deadline. This is back when the trade deadline used to be like midnight Eastern or 9 p.m. Eastern or something like that. Were the like basketball ops is in the war room, and like I remember saying, "Yo, is it cool if I stay?" And they were all surprised, like. You want to see, like it's after six? Don't you want to go home? Like go home. This is what, what I'm here for, right? But like this is the environment was so it was toxic so different. And yeah, people were like interns were like, yeah, f- this I'm out of here, right? So, <laughs> right. so I'm sitting there. I'm like, no, no, this is what I came for. And you know, trade deadlines by and large, a lot of us are a lot of hurry up and wait mm. because you're waiting. You know, there certain people are making the calls and certain people receiving the calls, but in between. If there's no action, there's no action. So we're just sitting there. And I remember this dude, Frank Murphy's telling these stories, these old war stories, right? Well, Riley one time. <laughs> and, and and I could tell these are stories that everybody in the room had heard a hundred times. Yeah, but they're new for you. New for me, particularly as someone who grew up. Like the, these are the teams that I idolized. These teams, and, right. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, tell me more. And then Charles Oakley came in and he said, Money Man, if it ain't broke, don't break it. And like, oh my God, that's <laughs> the origin of that quote. And like, so. Right. I think, you know, like every old timer in the NBA, whether it's a player, an executive coach, there's nothing they like more than people being fascinated by their stories. Of course. Of course. Like that's something I learned later. Like, oh, this is the, this is a cheat code. But at the time, it was very genuine. It's always genuine. I do enjoy the stories, but I learned like, oh, yeah. It's this you is know you that them. if you ask about them, you're getting you're getting on their good side by trying to find yes. out those stories as well. So it's yeah. a win win. You want to hear them. It's a win win. Also that. Absolutely. So. The next day, walking down the hallway, and I see him, I say, good morning, Mr. Murphy. And he stopped, and he looked, and he nods, and then he kept walking. I was like, you broke him. him. You did it. broke him. And so the next time I (laughs) said, good morning, Mr. Murphy, he said, what are you doing at 1 o'clock today? And I said, nothing. He said, come to my office at 1 o'clock. Came in, and he put the clock on his desk. I said, you have 30 minutes to ask me anything. Wow. And I was in there for three hours. Holy! I everything. I asked him why about tanking. I asked him about wow. like everything. I like uh, he he opened the books and showed me how much every single team makes off of their gate. And he says, "No one's giving up this money for some ping pong balls." Like he he just broke down everything to me. Like all the stuff that you sit around with your friends. Like man, I think the da 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 do do do. And then, like, he said, nope, this, 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 this. I was like, oh, wow, like, with info and data and everything. And that's when kind of, like, things started to take off for me that season as far as learning. And so and so the other thing was my desk used to be in the intern pit. So, Jeremy, you know this because you work with us, but uh-huh. to the listeners, if you come to where we do Levitard show, the area right outside the kitchen where it's just that conference table – and all of these people are sitting there with their laptops working. It's not really anyone's desk. It's just kind of an open, free workspace. Imagine this area was just interns, the PR intern, the community relations intern, the the marketing intern, okay. the, and the basketball ops intern, and we're all in this area right here. That's where I sat. After, like, the breakthrough, they took me out of that, and they put me in the office of – Dickie McGuire. Dickie McGuire is a Hall of Famer. Uh, he played for the Knicks back in the day, and then he became, he was their coach, but he wasn't really good at coaching. So then he became a scout. It's actually flip-flop. Red Holtzman, the Hall of Fame coach for the Knicks, was a scout, and Dickie McGuire was the coach, and neither of them liked their job. And so they switched jobs, what? and then Red Holtzman goes on to become like this great coach, and Dick McGuire becomes this great scout. He's out there like finding talent, whatever. That's, um, but Dick, that's crazy. I didn't know that story. So Dick McGuire is like 8 million years old. Though, right? <laughs> right. Like this guy played, you know, yeah. like Kusi was a, was a young. Yeah, young whippersnapper. You know, a young whippersnapper when, when you know, uh, when Dickie McGuire was out there. So Dickie's notes were all handwritten. And they needed someone to input the scouting reports into You're the You're transcribing his, this legend's scouting reports. Yeah. And his scouting reports were all like, 
two <laughs> sentences. If you like the player, you didn't like the player, it would be CNP cannot play. And if you really didn't like the players, two letters. No. Wow. This is I've amazing. Seen, I've, I've like, seen him write just right. Just no. Every detail and, of what you're describing sounds like like a almost like a stereotypical movie of this like crazy rise and all these characters right. that you're meeting through it, right? Because these guys are are legends of the game in their own way who have their very distinct personalities and reasons for elevating you because of the way that you were inquisitive and well, because of the yeah, way that you were present. They were there. So it was two things. One was they were willing to share. So for Dickie McGuire. I'm inputting his stuff. And when I don't have his stuff to input, I this is when I started taking like I'm gonna do some projects on my own. So one sure. of them was Jamal Crawford field goal percentage based on how many dribbles he took. This is something now, boop, 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 NBA.com. Right. You can pull it up. But I was like, uh, you know, let, let me look it up. Let me let me. So I, I was requesting tape. I'm going through tape and I'm I'm marking it down or whatever. And I remember Dickie looking over and said, "What are you doing?" And I told him what I was doing. And he's looked at it. He looked through the numbers and looked at the stuff. And then he looked at me and he's like, "Why are you wasting your time here? Why don't you? Why don't you have like a real job? Like why are you working in? Why are you wasting your wow. time in basketball?" Is what he said. Like you yeah. you're you're throwing your life away. Is basically <laughs> you're, what he said. You're, the kid. He's like, I can't do anything else. This is all I can do. This is what he's telling me. I, I, like this is all. Why I can are do. you here wasting your your, you? your brain on this? On this exactly. Right. On this and sport. So, on this silliness. So now I'm starting to ask him about his scouting reports. Wow. Why do you? Why are your scouting reports so short, man? I've seen some of the other scouts they writing all these essays, and you got two sentences, Dicky. Why, why is that? He says, "Kid, everyone knows who can and can't play. The only reason they write anything more is because they're trying to cover their ass in case they're wrong." Wow. That that's, was his see, philosophy. That, but that's like to learn from those type of people who are so sure of what it is that they're doing so that that way you know that their lessons are authentic, right? You know, like even if even if that process took years of uncertainty on their own part to get right. there, you know, these guys were legends of what it is that they did. And for them to be able to impart that wisdom, I can imagine for you as someone just starting – had to just help your confidence skyrocket in terms well, of like, just, okay, I know I now know some of the secret sauce here, right? I wouldn't call it secret sauce, but what I would say, what I have done in my career, what I think has really helped me is my ability to ask questions, get anecdotal answers from the experiences of these people, and now they become my experience. So now I'm learning things. I know things, not because I know what it was like to guard Hakeem Olajuwon, even though I never guarded Hakeem Olajuwon, because when I worked in Phoenix, I worked with Mark West, and he broke down for me on a basketball court. This is why it's hard to guard him. Everyone thought it was because he's fast. Like, no, it's because he's strong as Because <laughs> the first thing he does, we said the first thing he does is when he catches, he, he jumps when he catches the ball. Okay. What that does is allows him to land on two feet so he hasn't established a pivot foot. So he can go right, he can go left. You don't know which way he's going to go. That's what makes the dream shake so hard. But the other thing he says he does is that first dribble, his shoulder is going into your chest. And what it does is it immobilizes you. Right. So now you're because it's like it's like being punched in the chest hard. Mm. So while your solar plexus is caving in now, you're trying to catch your breath. You're trying to and you're trying to figure out, wait, which way is he going? Which way is he actually going? Right. And it's like, that's what makes it so hard. Everyone, And he said the, re the reason why Joe Klein did the best job was twofold. One was Joe was big as sh and, and could take that hit. But two, Joe was so slow that Hakeem would go fake, fake, counter fake, come back, and Joe was still there from the first fake. That's amazing. So it's like, for whatever reason, <laughs> it just kept messing with him. But like, all right, these, but like, that's an example of something that I'm, so now I'm watching for it mm. and I'm watching other players do it and realizing, but I remember when uh, LeBron uh, beat the Pacers on a last second layup where he caught yeah, the, right by Paul George. Correct. He hit him first in the chest, in mm. that area that made Paul George. I said, it doesn't matter how much he anticipated what LeBron was going to do in terms of which way he was going to go, whatever. When he got hit like that, he could not move. So it's one of those things where, like, I was lucky enough to be with people who, A, had wealth of knowledge and 
and experience and B, they were willing to share it with me. They were willing to sit down with this kid and explain themselves in a way that, you know, maybe they, they didn't have to because they, they shut up or I'm busy or whatever. And so I, I, I gained a relationship with, with the late Dickie McGuire and he passed away a few years ago and I learned a lot from the scouting side from him. I learned a lot yeah. from the cap side from Frank Murphy and I learned a lot. I learned, I shouldn't say I learned a lot. I learned even what analytics was from this guy named Matt Simon. That's the guy who worked for Frank Murphy who hired me. Okay. He gave me this book called Basketball on Paper, written by a man named Dean Oliver. Dean Oliver is the godfather of analytics. Like he, he's the guy that inspired John Hollinger to do what it's he like did. It's like Bill James in baseball. Yes. Right. Exactly. I think Dean Oliver read Bill James and said, oh, I need to do this for basketball. Right. So the concept of offensive rating instead of points per game. That we're going to do per so 100 all of this, right. Rebound okay. percentage. All of these things that when you go to basketball reference, you see those advanced ones, assist yeah. percentage and all that. This dude invented that. And he wrote this book. And so I was given this book and I read it. And the guy who gave it to me was like, he basically knew because he was, same thing, a regular guy. And he was like, this is how we're going to separate ourselves because they're never going to listen to us saying, oh, I think so-and-so's a really good you know, prospect or whatever. But if you can provide value from this perspective, that can take you places. And so that those three people gave me the cornerstones of like what was going to be my career, which was I know how to scout. And I obviously I got better after I got to the Suns because working with more scouts, guys like John Schumann, guys like Mark West and David Griffin, mm, right. Steve Kerr and all those guys working with them on that stuff and then uh working on cap stuff and i gotta shout out my guy trevor buckstein who's still with the sons right now yeah, because trevor Tre so his brother scott was my yeah, scott, professor in college UCF. yep yep that's that's his my twin guy. brother scott right yep, that's my guy too um so trevor i learned as much as i knew which was more than the average bear right it still was not up to snuff those for, two are geniuses in yeah, like so, a way that I'll never understand. <laughs> it's a it's a twin thing. Yeah. So um so I got better at that and I got better at scouting and I got better at on court stuff with with uh you know working as a video coordinator and working with the coaches and Alvin Gentry and Dan Marley and Igor Kokoshkov and all these people, right? And then the analytics stuff is the, the irony is it was the thing that got me a little bit of an opening and allowed me to do my first value for the Suns when I worked for the Suns. But I recognize now I got in at just the right time where it was new enough that nobody knew enough about it. This is what I was just and about so, to say. It's fascinating about your your career and your interests here is everything I did was. Yeah, exactly. It's all say, just say a step, but well, because it's all just a step before, right? It's all just like before. right on sort of the the cutting edge of like, okay, the internet's here, so I'm going to go look up these stats, and I'm going to go look up the new salary cap machinations of the league, and I'm going to be interested in this part of it before anybody else is, so here's my value in this internship. And really, it, it's essentially just being a couple steps ahead of where the curve was going each step of the way. And I would think that that sort of inquisitive nature on your part is what plays a role in that, right? Is trying to find what's next, what's the most interesting thing, what's something new that I can learn. Um, so I would think that that's helpful well, in terms of kind of I, climbing through this. Well, it's funny because the cap stuff was, that was just pure interest sure. for my own edification, right? Right. The analytics stuff was actually something that someone told someone me. Someone brought to you, you need right? To do just this. before. You need right. to get on this, right? And it, the timing had to be so perfect for it to exist, but not be widespread. Right. Because within, I would say, within five years of all that, yeah, within five years, I was already, it was, the math had gone somewhere where I was not equipped to do that math anymore. But because you got in where you could, you were in the position of, I was already gone. I, I was this to the table. I'm in and out. I'm already yeah. now in media. Yep. You know? Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying within media. my basketball right. career, within my basketball career, because by the time the math had progressed to more complex math and all that, I was now assistant director of basketball ops, mm. and I was doing You don't have to worry about I, that math. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right, like, I had right. someone else doing that Right. So it, it was just the perfect time 
Um, and particularly even when the math got more complicated, I was still, it was still a time where you had people who did not know how to explain it. Yep. So I, I couldn't do it, but I could explain it because I have a engineering, somewhat quasi-engineering background. You know, I didn't finish my engineering degree, but I, I did calculus. Yeah, I did a lot did of calculus, right. Differential equations, all that stuff. Yeah. I took statistics in, in undergrad and graduate school, uh, logistic regressions, all these mathematical tools. I understood them, maybe not as well as someone who should be doing it, but well enough to be like, okay, what he's trying to tell you is this. There's a great value in being able to do that in, a, in an NBA front office. Well, the irony is that that's also now what you do in media, right? Is is it's having both the inquisitive nature of I want to ask people questions, I want to learn, I want to hear these stories, yeah. and also now you as someone working within media needing to be able to now take these stories and regurgitate them in bite-sized pieces yeah. of information for others. So for you in that transition into media, was that sort of an active choice of, oh, I know, and I think I would be good at this? Or is this another, hey, this person told me I <laughs> I should talk to this person? Or, you know, how, how did that come about for you? And how has that sort of, you know, grown from there? It's, it, it is as far away from what you just literally the opposite as possible. It, so it, it has nothing it, to do with any of the cool stepping stones that it could have been. Mm -mm. I mean, yes, the <laughs> stepping stones all help. The stepping stones right. were all instrumental in it but what happened was 2012 uh so 2000 and up until 2010 i'm working for steve kerr and david griffin alvin gentry's my head coach uh it's a small front office we're a very good team we go to conference finals we lose to the eventual champion lakers and my career is everything i had wanted I'm like this is what i wanted i never said i want to be a gm of a team i never believed i could be a gm of a team um, not because of my background or my knowledge, but I just thought the world wasn't ready for someone with a funny name to be the GM of a, of an NBA team. So I, but like in my mind, like I don't also, I know I don't have the temperament. I don't think I'm a good leader. I think I'm a good, as I've always said, I'm not a good leader, but I'm a hell of a Lieutenant. Okay. I'm really good at like executing someone else's vision. I like that. And also keeping them honest, being like, that sounds like bullshit. I, I'm assistant director of basketball ops. I swear to God, in my mind, I said, all right, in a couple of years, I'm going to be a director of basketball ops and then maybe director of player personnel. And if I'm lucky, maybe Griff leaves to get a job somewhere else. And then maybe at that point, I get to be assistant GM. Okay. But if I end up being director of player personnel for the rest of my life, or director of basketball ops and just get raises along the way, I'm happy. Look, we're here. We're doing this thing. I'm, I like right. the people I work with and whatever. And then Steve Kerr and David Griffin quit within a day apart of each other. Oh my God, right. I forgot. I forgot. And, and the franchise is in turmoil and the people that they brought in afterward were not only incompetent, but also insecure. Mm. And so my career gets thrown into turmoil. And so I go for, through two years of just outward, just rebelliousness and fighting and like just pointing out incompetence without any not trying to even be nice about it. Oh, word, you guys want to trade for Ben Gordon? Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Like, oh man, like right. uh, yes. without any any try filter to, to try it. to trade for Nothing. Ben Gordon. And when I said, "Why do you want Ben Gordon?" the answer was because he needs a change of scenery. And the answer to and so I said, "According to whom?" And the answer given to me was, "According to Joe." And I said, "According to Joe, Joe Dumars, the m trying to trade him to you? Like that's <laughs> oh, who you're no quoting?" Oh no way. They, they wanted to, so I had to come up with like this whole thing about why this wow. is a bad idea. Wow. I did this routinely. I came up with a report. They'd tell me what they wanted to do, and i come up with a report saying, why well, this is a bad idea. And so when the time came, they wanted to trade Goran Dragic. They literally yeah. locked me out of the room and did the deal without talking. Not not when he came to Miami, when he not got traded here. to Houston. He got traded to Houston. Wow. Along with a first-round pick that turned into Nico Miritich uh -huh. for... Aaron Brooks, who was a free agent at the end of the year. And Aaron Brooks played the half year and then left, went to China, and then never played for the Suns. I think he came back to the league as a minimum player after that. And Goran Dragic, of course, we right. know what he happened. Went on to Goran have Dragic, an amazing career. Who, that's still, still playing. Going. That's crazy. still going. Right. They literally locked me out of the room and did the deal and did not open the door until the deal was done. That is because they knew behavior. I was going to shit on it. That, but that, but that's what that's what I was working under. So, so I left saying to hell with this. Shit. I'm gonna get a job somewhere else. So I go to summer league. 
hit up Warren Legary, who's the godfather of Summer League. Say, sure. Warren, I need a job. He's like, oh, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> this job is opening here. This job is opening here. And I'm going to introduce you to this guy, da, 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 and come work for me at Summer League. And I'll introduce you to all these people. Like, go to Summer League. And because it's the NBA, shit happens. Like, I didn't get a job. But I did a couple of uh, these video show, like mini podcasts with right. my buddy Henry Abbott. Henry worked for ESPN, and I'd known Henry for, at that point, like seven years, eight years. And Henry was like, always wanted me to be on the podcast. Like, okay, I can't do it. And then when he saw me at Summer League, he was like, well, can you do something now? I'm like, yeah, I'm actually in between jobs, so maybe I'll do this, and maybe one of the teams I'm talking to will see it and say, hey, this guy's interesting. Let's bring him in. And what ended up happening was someone at ESPN saw it and said, wow, this guy's really good. Does he has he ever thought about you know writing from a I mean, front office perspective? Like crazy. And so my buddy said, Hey, you ever thought about writing from a front office perspective? And I said, No, I haven't. I never thought about it before. It's it was literally like someone wow. coming right now, Jeremy, running in, like, yo, I just came in from Cape Canaveral. You want to be an astronaut? <laughs> right. Let's go to NASA. I'm like, I never thought All about right, it. Let's sure. go. Why would I say wow. no to this? Like, that's how I got my job in media. Unbelievable. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was just literally they asked me a question. And I answer the reason I'm on Levitard show is because they they had me on yep. because George Sedano and Tom Habershow kept saying should have Amin on, and they didn't. None of them knew me. None right. of these guys, not Mike, not 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 two guys, none of them. And Dan asked me, "How is it this Hassan Whiteside could be playing at a YMCA and all of a sudden he's in the NBA? And he's doing double. How did it, everyone miss the boat?" And I said, "Because he was an a and it blew Dan's mind. It did that someone I, didn't, I remember. didn't give analysis that that was like, well, you know, the NBA is such a crapshoot. It all depends on all that. Like, not the, right. those. I I said what you it just was. Said he what was it right? He burnt his way out the league. Everyone knew he was talented, but he burnt his way out the league, and that's how it all changed. It's amazing though the 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 knowledge that you got to pick up through all of these different stops along the way and then being able to just apply that knowledge in a straightforward way now in this position right because that's all that is that's it having an understanding yeah. of like i know how this league works and i'm just going to tell you how this league works and it it should be you would think that simple as a quote-unquote insider to do that job but that's a rare trait that's a rare trait given well, the partnerships that exist within leagues yep. and broadcast entities and the positions that we all have it's to not fill. Even that. It's not even that. Most of the people in my position are trying, or in the past, they're trying to get back. Now I think it's different. It's a little different now as, as you know, salaries have exploded and, and, and the profiles of people right. in media have exploded, right? But like 10 years ago, there's no way J.J. Reddick would want this job. Right, and now he does. Now he does, right? right? JJ Reddick was like, "Why would I work in the front office? I'm on like I get to see my kids every day. Yep. I'm undefeated." Blah, 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 blah. But like yeah. ten years ago, JJ and Richard Jefferson and all those guys, they'd be working for teams. Right? They'd, they'd want to work for teams, and they do that job just to be able to to you know keep their name out there, or whatever. And so for me, I walked in and they asked me. I remember like, "How do we know you're not going to speak in platitudes?" I said two reasons. One is I can't. I don't know how. Right. I like if I could, I'd still be in Phoenix just <laughs> and dealing with it. But I said the second thing was more importantly, I'm not trying to go back. I've done it. Mm. I did it at the at, at the highest level, and I did it with great people. And I thought this is what the NBA was. And then life dealt me the ultimate, like no, 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 no. The NBA isn't good people who care about you and want you to grow and want to teach you. The NBA is mostly who care about themselves and are threatened and are territorial and try to sabotage you and try to use this for their own personal gain. I had a conversation with the then general manager where he asked me what I wanted out of this. I said, to help us win a championship. He said, no, 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 no. Don't give me any of that BS. Tell me what you want out of this, you personally. And I said, to help us win a championship. <laughs> yeah. why, wait, why are you here? And his goal was to get like a better GM job somewhere else. He was who was he was awful at the GM job he was doing. Somehow he wanted another one that but was better. But that's it, right? Like that's that's exactly why, right? Like you're never going to be great at the position that you're in if you're constantly only thinking about what's next. And you can put yourself in position to succeed moving forward and build and grow within your career without only caring about what comes after, without being present in the moment, without. I'm I'm going to disagree you with you. I think you, you could. You don't think like you have can, an idea. I think you can have an eye to the future. Yeah, yeah. And and be good. What no, I'm I think saying you can't, you can't be, only have an eye to the future. Oh, 
Well, you I, even that, okay, yeah, that's probably the, that's not not conducive, not really, and it doesn't help you. Yeah. But it can happen. You know what can't happen? You can't be awful at every part of the job, <laughs> except for the perks. Well, that's for sure. That's right. For like sure. you can't right. be like here just for the free dinners and the flights and car service. Yeah. And the lifestyle. We talk about it with players all the time. Where oh these guys don't care they they're just in it for the lifestyle they want to collect a check and go holler at girls whatever. And what I it took me that experience to realize was oh it's not just a player thing. Mm. Mm. There are people who work other positions in this machine that are just here for, for the that lifestyle. Reason. Interesting. And when they see people who aren't, it freaks them out because like what you mean this guy actually right. gives a shit? so you gotta pick on me because my desk looks dirty or you got to pick on me because I gave you the answer to your question, but not with a clear plastic binder mm. and charts. And shit. I just gave you the answer. Hey, what's our best lineup? It's this. Yeah. He wanted, Oh no. Like why, why am I trying to impress you? You have a question. I give you an answer. Right. And that was always my relationship with the people I worked with before because they, it was a genuine question. It wasn't just something to appear to be like a, you know, oh, I, I care, you know, I, it's, right. but all, all those things led me to a place where I just didn't want to do this anymore. When I asked, right. well, why, how do we know you're going to, you, you won't, you won't use this as a way station is what they asked. I said, yeah, I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> I don't want to risk working for another right. fun. Right. Yeah. Right. Now let, that you let are let on the other this. side of it. Let me speak the truth, not right. have to worry about anyone's feelings. Go home at night, not worry about we, whether we win or lost. Like, if I work for the Heat, it'd be awesome. The Miami right. Heat are a great organization. And most people who work there are lifers, right? You got to really mess up to get right. kicked out, right? So it's a great organization to work for. Having said that, today I'd feel like shit. We lost last night. Oh, my God, our season been going terrible. What are we going to do? Oh, it's my, like, uh, like, that's what NBA life is. Mm. There are people at the Celtics right now. Number one record in the East, maybe number one record overall. Got to check. We're like panic, shedding hair, yep. stressed, stressed. It's January fifth. <laughs> None of this is gonna matter, right? Really, in the grand scheme of things, unless it's like a harbinger of everything is just crashing. But in terms of like a two weeks, three week period of struggle, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. But you're not allowed to think that way. Not and it's not because other people say, "Hey, man, you're not allowed to think that." You will not allow yourself to think that way if you work for an NBA team. It is the highest of highs when things go right. I've never experienced highs like I have working for a team, and it's the lowest of lows when things go wrong. I've never experienced the lows like working for a team. The emotional roller coaster of it is is too much, and to to be able to have now in the space of media that you do um, has got to be super enjoyable. So. I still have a bunch more and we're not going to any of it because this has been too long to do a bunch more. I'm just going to do a rapid fire thing with you on basketball. What I want you to know that I'm skipping is a question about the Dan Levitard show in general. I'm skipping a cinephobe question. I'm skipping. I was going to have you do a top five side characters from the combination of Always Sunny and Seinfeld. But what I'm asking you instead is just rapid fire. Favorite mm -hmm. basketball player growing up? John Starks. Favorite basketball player to watch right now? Steph Curry. Least favorite player growing up? Steve Kerr. <laughs> Steve Kerr. Everyone, everyone that I hated growing up were people that I ended up working with and loved. Like that's perfect. Steve Kerr, Dan Marley, uh, Charles Barkley. Like I didn't like any of those guys, and, and ended up being like awesome people. Most underrated player from the years you were in a front office. Most under, in the league or the in the I, league the, in the league. Oh, uh, Steve Nash. Uh -huh, all right, and then <laughs> that's great. And then last yeah. question. Uh, most overrated NBA player of all time. This is a funny one. No one's gonna get it, but like I've oh, it's easy. I don't know why I'm doing it. Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy. All right. Bob Cousy. I was gonna go with another answer that could like I could literally do a 40 minute pod about because I really <laughs> like him. I think he's he's a great player, but I'm like, you know what? There's there are a lot of inflation that's happening. But Bob Cousy's an easier one to throw under the bus. All right. What we'll do is we'll do this again hand. sometime. We'll get that answer from you. We'll talk about Dan. We'll talk about Cinephobe and every other project that you work on. But follow Amin at Darth Amin on Twitter. You can find all of his work across Metal Arc Media. Um Amin Al Hassan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks, Jeremy. 
Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.